What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Peacock streaming the biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56, the 2022 Winter Olympics, and the Peacock original Bel Air. Plus the new movie Marry Me in theaters and streaming Valentine's Day. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Heading into the January fixture list, I need to make sure that you're, you're feeling fit enough to get out there onto the airwaves today. You know, from my perspective, I'm just like, if anything, if I'm willing to play through an injury, that says more about me, about more, more about my desire, more about my commitment. So at the end of the day, you know, I, I will run through those walls right now. And if I've got a, a, a shoddy hammy, so be it. That's all I'll you say. are, Alex Lacazette. You got six months <laughs> left to run on that deal, and you are you are busting a gut. You are busting a gut. Out I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Matt, Matt, how are you? Are you feeling fit? I know that you're having uh, you're dancing with the COVID, dancing uh, with Omicron. Welcome to the club. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's all fun. But like Johnny, I'm truly committed to the cause. I'm like one of those players. Uh, I'm not training between games. Um, I'm just sort of uh, managing my fitness, <laughs> pure Ledley <laughs> King, and then, and then, uh, and then, and then turning up on match day and hoping there's enough raw talent there to get through. <laughs> Magic. All right. Well, as, you know, seeing as everybody's lacking a little bit of fitness, I think, I think, listen, it's not really, it's not an on the whistle, it's an after the whistle. So it'd be a little bit slower on the old live feed, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to have maximum amounts of fun in this podcast. I can't wait to get in. So let's go. Good evening and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am joined by Johnny Cochran. Johnny Cochran, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, man. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been through the fire, uh, woke up with cold sweats and, uh, you know, I was... I was I, I didn't know what, what would become of me because we know that as men, we get flu way worse than women who just cruise through it, you know. So I had to make peace with whatever, you know, was going to happen to me. And I managed to fight off that 
awful little flu virusy thing. And now I'm, you know, I'm back and I'm ready to roar. And I tell you what, a great thing to help you along on your road to recovery is awesome Arsenal performances. Are, are awesome Arsenal performances, I should say. So thanks for meeting me in the middle there, Gunas. Um, it, yeah, it cheered me up and 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 it's given me an air of positivity that I only want to delve into further during this podcast. Fantastic. Matt Candela, um, if if we were football games, I'd be Brentford. Uh, I was sick, but I, I, you know, I had to play anyway. And you'd be Wolves. You timed out the game yesterday. We got a postponement because you were all over the place. Tell us how New York COVID is right now. Are you okay? Yeah, we're just about all right. Uh, feeling better today, thankfully. Seems like uh, it's just a it's just a COVID Christmas, you know. Um, and um, wasn't actually quite well enough. To, I was sort of half watching the game just because I was I was I was I was that rough, and then finally felt a bit better yesterday evening. Rewatched it, caught up with Arsenal Twitter. Um, and then um, dealt with the initial disappointment of hearing the Arsenal Wolves game was off, and then rationalised it with it probably being the best thing for us right now with our busy fixture list. So all the emotions over the last couple of days, but delighted to uh, be here and to get to talk about you know a, a, a thrilling Boxing Day victory that sets us up nicely for the back half of the season. Yeah, and listen, we can post-rationalise the Wolves cancellation because now we can have a little bit of a an end-of-year wrap-up. Nobody can surpass us um, in the top four because uh, they, Spurs and United can't play enough games to catch up with us. So we are top four at the end of 2021, which is a huge positive. But I don't want to talk about that at the start of the podcast. I want to get right into Norwich. Uh, we absolutely smashed them yesterday. Johnny, I'm going to you for the hottest of takes. Yeah, so um, there, there's so much, there's so much to get through today. But a hot take, uh, you know, not I'm, all of the takes, Johnny. Exactly, I'm going for the hottest part of the flames. Okay, the hottest part. We're going for the blue bit. All right, the blue bit of the flame in terms of heat. And I'm ready to say that you know I'm incredibly impressed with what Martin Odegaard is dishing out today. Um, it's it's exciting. It's nice when you're supporting a team where you've realised that a number of your players are starting to take the Michael out of Norwich City, who were quite frankly not that they weren't fit to be on the same pitch as us. And what I'd previously said about players, young players who want to come out there and not only you know stake a, a, a stake a um, claim to a place in the starting lineup, but also to get the fans excited that we might be onto one here. Something quite naughty is happening, and it was Bakaya Saka's turn as well as Erdegaard to absolutely come out and cement himself. For me, I think he is the best player we have at the club. And I think every now and then he just needs to give everyone a bit of a slap and say, "What? Well, who's doubting me? I'm a very serious, very serious uh, geezer, quite frankly. A, a guy who is, if you if you don't if you don't plan for me, I'm going to wreck your game. And that is what he did yesterday. He is putting it all together. And if we were worried that after the Euros there was going to be a lull that might go on for a bit longer, I think he's dispelled that, and I think he's back up to top form. So. You know, so much to take take away from yesterday. So many positives, but those those two players need to be brought up in the hottest of takes, I think, because they are seriously exciting the fan base with the performances that they're putting in. It, it is getting really, really kinky. Matt, 
you're wearing now it's, this is my favorite away shirt in a long time because it feels like we're you know we're having good we're having good games uh, there we were potentially going to go to the Norwich game before covid hit did you feel a little bit gutted that you weren't going there and then hit me with your hottest take for the Norwich game because there were many oh i would have given anything to be there yesterday boxing day special away from home 5-0 win and you know there's certain shirts that you identify with certain players uh, you know, when you think of t- Tony Adams in the 98 shirt, Burkamp and that yellow one with the blue stripe, David Rocastle with the, uh, you know, with the one that looked like a tire tread had gone all the way through it. Um, but I think this shirt is is quick become, quickly becoming the one that you associate with Saka. I think he was just absolutely um, outstanding yesterday. But I think the hottest of takes is, 20 days ago, just 20 days, we all stood, we all sat here and just said, what the hell is going on with Arsenal? We we are all over the place after that dreadful defeat against Everton. And now 20 days later, uh, you know, we've managed to turn it around. I think it's six games on the bounce, a ton of goals. Johnny's been talking about attacking coherency. We've got it now. We're absolutely dishing out the beats to everybody around and, you know, it's just amazing how quickly football changes. And, uh, yeah, I think the hottest of takes is we said the way that we bounce back from that Everton game is by winning the next two. Well, now we've won the next four. We said we feel like a Jekyll and Hyde team home and away. Well, we've addressed that with two big away wins on the bounce. And we've been fortunate with a bit of luck. I mean, we, we played two pretty pretty average poor teams either by circumstance or just by the fact of the quality in their team. But finally, a little bit of luck just in the fixture list. And now, um, you know, I'm so excited about the back half of the season. I'm, I'm concerned about January because it's a, it's a really, really tough run of games. And what we haven't seen with Arteta yet is the ability to achieve outsized results, to go into January and come out of that and, and, and get to the League Cup final. Get a, get a point against City, beat Tottenham, you know, and that's the next step for this team. But the thing about it is for the first time in a long time, it feels like it's a possibility. So really, really excited for January now. Two good hot takes. I'm going to go in with uh, with an abstract hot take. Mental strength is what I'm excited about today. Uh, the Everton game was terrible. I can't stop talking about it because uh, you know, I, I, I wake up in hot sweats and I don't immediately think it's COVID, even though it is. I think it's that Everton game. It's getting to me. It's keeping me up late at night because it was so, so bad. And um, what I've loved um, is since Aubameyang has been ostracised as captain, guillotined by Arteta, probably the, ro- the most ruthless move that he's made as a manager, the entire team has been galvanised around this moment they've shaken off the cobwebs of Everton they've shaken off I don't even know whether it was cobwebs at United it was just a just just a a, a crappy run out and everybody stood up you know Gabriel Martinelli looks like a man Saka looks like a man Smith Rowe coming off the bench not complaining playing like a man Lacazette leading like a captain Granite Jacker and Thomas Partey were absolutely superb yesterday they're playing like leaders everybody's come together they're playing well. We're seeing attacking fluidity. We're seeing a diff- lots of different variety in our goals. And, and, and for the first time, I mean, in, in three years, goals are coming from everywhere. 
right? We've got fullbacks scoring them. We've got midfielders scoring them. We've got strikers. We've got wide players. In fact, the only position that's not really scoring goals is our striking position, but that's because Lacazette plays a completely different position. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm excited. The promised land gets more beautiful by the game. We know that it'll be rough times ahead, but it's it's mental strength for me. Going to Norwich, uh, for, you know, I know it's not quite the same as going to Everton because Everton were actually in worse form than Norwich. But we went there, we did a job, we smashed them. We got a goal difference of plus nine. Things are starting to look up. But listen, uh, that wasn't a hot take. That was many hot takes, many little fires um, of hot takes going there. So I want to get into specifics. Um, I was going to start with Erdegaard, but no. I'm starting with Captain Lacazette today. Uh, Lacazette as captain, he's he's out the door at the end of the year. Uh, it's it was problematic, but but the guy's a leader. He sets the tone for aggression. Um, he does so much dirty work to make everybody else look good in the team, um, and his contributions have been absolutely decisive. Uh, Matt, I'm going to go to you. Uh, like a- Alex Lacazette, has he done enough to, to earn a new deal? Like what what, what do we think about uh, what do we think about the little man up front? Look, um, I'll be honest, I haven't always been the biggest fan. Um, Not because I don't respect what he does for the team, but more because I feel like the journey that we've taken with this team is to always look to the long term now and look to youth. And I felt like offering him uh, an expensive new contract might just delay some of the progress of younger players. And we almost had to rip the Band-Aid off and just deal with with the pain. Um, But I'm now coming to a slightly different conclusion. Um, I think that we should offer him a one-year deal. It sounds like we may have offered him a one-year deal. There's been a bit of a buzz around that. I think that would be perfect. I think we saw with Dennis Bergkamp, you know, it was one-year deals. Any player after 30, no more than a one-year deal. I think we need to get back to that. We need to show we've learned from our mistakes with Obama, Yang and Ozil. No more long-term deals, one-term deal, one-year deals. But let's offer him a juicy one-year deal and see if he takes it. See if he wants to be in this project because one thing that's clear is it's a meritocracy now. And so if he has a good year next year, why can't he get another year on top of that? We've seen what playing for contracts does for players. And if his mentality is, you know what, I'm going to take a two-year deal or a three-year deal to play for someone in France or someone in Spain or whatever to see out my career, then we know that he has not got the right attitude that we need as a club for the next two to three years. If he goes, you know what, there's something brewing I'm the captain of the club, albeit temporarily. I want to be part of it. I'm going to take the one year because I still have confidence that next year I can boss it again and get another year. Well, that proves to me that he's the, he's the right he's the right guy. He's been fantastic of late. He's knitting the team together. I still think we need more. We need a player who can do what he does and can score goals. I think we've got to go and find that. But you know, as someone who 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 is doing well. Um, yeah, I think I think I think he could well be deserving of of a one year deal. Johnny, there is no one on this podcast that has had more uh, a more consistent opinion on Alex Lacazette being the best striker at Arsenal. Do you feel vindicated right now because your man is delivering? Well, yeah, I certainly do. Um, you know, I have said it for a while that I've uh, you know, the thing about my um, praise for Lacazette, it was never. I was never trying to, you know, uh, give out the impression that I thought Lacazette was a solve-all for us. Like he was, you know, he was the answer that we'd been waiting for. I think he is the best solution we have at hand because he might not be as fast as Aubameyang. He might not be as clinical as Nketiah, 
But overall, what he offers to the team is the best because it gets everyone else playing better. Um, and, you, you know, I, I think um, a, 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 um, a, a kind of similar idea is one of the things I hear about a lot with um, American football when they say whether players are false multipliers, whether they can make the people around them play better. That is a massive attribute to have to be when when you are a good player. And I really think that Lacazette makes everyone else play better around him. So for that reason, I don't mind the the prospect of him sticking around. I think what gives most Arsenal fans, you know, pause for concern is the fact that we've had those um, deals with Ozil, Willian, Obama Yang, and it and it's it, it, it's made us cautious that we don't want to get an, attached to another millstone around our neck with a big fat contract. But I do think that if we could make it you know, economically viable, which might mean, I don't think you're going to be at, he's already on what, 120, 100, between 80. 120. I thought he'd gone, oh, right. Okay. Well, I I thought he was already over 100. Um, even if we ended up pushing it up a little bit, the only thing that kind of is the biggest argument pro Lacazette is to replace him because ultimately I see him as being, if, if by next year we have to have, solve the striker issue aka and that will be coming in from uh you know from outside the club we've put a bid in for a player and we brought them in and they're someone who can do all the parts that we need not only link play but also score but I think if that is the case then if Lacazette was playing you know back up to that lead striker I think he'd be a very you know a, a very capable deputy to be able to come in, we don't want him playing 38 games a year anyway, but if it is five games here and there, he makes everyone play well around him, especially the players that he's used to that will be a year older and are already showing that they in themselves carry a goal threat. So, you know, it's a little bit easier to manage uh, the the lack of goals from Lacazette. Uh, So I think that if that is the case, then... You know, there, there's a lot of arguments for give him a club friendly club club friendly deal, short term contract. So if it goes wrong, we don't. You know, we're not stuck to him forever. And why why not go ahead with him? But right now, there's no question that he's the best striker at the club. He makes all of the players around him play better. Um, and we are starting to see the goals coming from those other areas, which, as I say, covers up. Uh, somewhat the lack of goals coming from him in particular because if our attacking wingers or you know forward forward wingers are banging in 15 goals a year suddenly you know the the um the need isn't so great from our striking position yeah that, i i think the i think that we've been in this position too many times before i think Lacazette isn't a long-term solution I don't think he's going to sign a one-year deal with Arsenal. The keep said today that he'd been offered a one-year extension and that he's going to pass because he's looking for more security, which isn't a surprise uh, at 29, 30 years old or whatever it would be when he exits the club. Um, but it does put a lot of pressure on the eventual signing that we have to to make next summer because my gut says that, you know, we'll talk about Aubameyang a little bit later, but at best... We're going to give him a free transfer. At worst, we're going to have to pay him off um, some of his deals. So we'll get no money there. Uh, Eddie Nketiah is probably five to 10 million. That's not a lot of money uh, for a club that's lacks resources, um, unless they're asking KSC to put their hand in their pocket. So wh- whoever they bring in, they've got to have a good idea because 
uh, Lacazette does such a, a unique job. I think somebody said in the comments that he does the job that Harry Kane was doing under uh, Jose Mourinho uh, last season. So it's, uh, it's it's a little bit of a worry. But for now, he's playing for a new deal somewhere else. And nothing drives a 29-year-old uh, more than thinking about what their next deal is going to be. Um, so hopefully um, we can keep him focused until the end of the season and doesn't start trying to preserve um, preserve his body. But from a captain's perspective, he leads by example. He sets the tone aggression-wise. He gets stuck in. And everybody on that team trusts him. Everybody trusts him. Uh, you know, a ball goes into him and it sticks to his feet. I think we saw um, at the Sunderland game in the week, uh, Ben White hit a great long ball into Pepe and it came straight back. And he said, Something like uh, to, to to the effect of for fuck's sake, like I, I kick the ball at him and it comes right back. And I think that that is part of the reason why Arsenal have adapted so well without Aubameyang in the side because everything sticks to Lacazette. So we've got to find a striker that's fast, uh, has height, uh, it has strength, has brilliant control, almost Giroud esque ability to to link the play, but also. Um, the mobility to to sniff out those goals. So I think that's going to be a really difficult signing. I don't think we're going to do it in January. But as of now, Captain Lacazette feels like the best captain that we've had in, in, in quite a long time. So I'm, I'm happy with that until the end of the season. Yeah, I, de- I definitely think that, you know, he is playing that role as an, an elder statesman of the team. You can see it, the, the, the relationship he has with some of the younger players. They do look to him on the pitch. And I thought, I think... Probably the best um, moment to exemplify, I guess, what we're all seeing, but certainly what I see in Lacazette in terms of his potential effect on the team. If you look at our first goal yesterday, Saka's first goal, there's a moment where the ball's fizzing around in and around midfield and it comes into Lacazette. He's got a man straight on him and he plays a one-touch pass into the feet of Martinelli, who is bursting through. And it's that pass which... Just Aubameyang doesn't do stuff like that. He doesn't. Like, Lacazette is a very good player in, in of himself. He, the, the pass is wonderfully weighted so Martinelli can take it in stride. And because we're not having to stop and start all the time, players going back to catch balls and it's a perfectly weighted pass instead, we're able to move at speed. And a team like Norwich, they're getting twisted blood out there. They can't handle us. It's lovely to watch. We're excited. And quite frankly... If we play like that, there's no reason why we can't achieve our goal this year. It's 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 really good, and and Lacazette is a lot of what's going well at Arsenal at the moment. Well, I think that little mention of Gabriel Martinelli leads us nicely into the next point. I thought Gabriel Martinelli had an incredibly mature performance out there yesterday. I love the way that he's using his strength. Um, I love that the first two goals came from turnovers that he created. I like that he will run the length of the pitch to create a defensive action. And I just like how sensible his game's got. He's no longer the kid that was tearing about, but we all loved, but it looked a little bit crazy. Like he was a headless chicken. Um, He's matured a lot in the last six months. I'd love to get your take, Matt, on the evolution of Gabriel Martinelli and whether you still think it's a Nelkerish or whether there are other players that are starting to buzz in your head. Well, I mean, we're loving what what's happening with him, um, and we just want to. I mean, for me, it's just I just want to see this run keep going because it feels like the longer he can keep going and assisting and scoring, the more he's going to grow into this role. Um, and at the moment, he's sort of playing on the left hand side. But I thought this was a really interesting point by Benny Devito saying 
play Odegaard as a deep 10, Martinelli as the nine, Smith Rowe left, Saka right, because that is really the only way that that's an internal solution to a, a long-term internal solution to a problem and where we get to play all our best players. Because at the moment, one of them has to sit out a lot. Um, and you know how I feel about that. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, so he's playing really, really well. Um, he just, it, I, for me, the biggest thing is confidence. He now looks like a player, and you've talked about it, Johnny, who who thinks he belongs. He thinks he should be starting every game. You've got, he's just got incredible finishing skills. I think that. <laughs> I mean, he he nearly not one in that sort of lob deflected effort. That yeah. Was, what was that, that? What was was that a deflection? Was that like know. some sort of Carlos Vela magic? What was it? It was. I just. I don't know. I, I, I think just, I love it. A deflection, but I, to be honest, I thought that that goal was actually more on side than Emil Smith Rose one that actually got given. <laughs> like that yeah. one, I was in, but there you go. But um, yeah, and I like this. I like. Would you like to see Martinelli as a new Alexis or an Elka? He's sort of a combination of the two. I think he's got that Ooh. hustle of Alexis, but he's got the the. Uh, the, the the sort of shark eyes, the great white shark eyes of an Elka. It's just like when he gets in you know how dangerous he is, how likely he is to finish. And, and to be fair, Alexis was sort of like that. So um, just, just, just want him to keep going. And it's just, it's just, it's just great to see. Um, he looks a couple of inches taller, even though he's not just because of his presence on the pitch. And when you think about his age, it's just really, really, really exciting about what we've, what we've got to come, but we're going to learn a lot over the next, over the next month, because it's one thing to do it against, Leeds and Norwich and you know some of those teams but we've got Liverpool twice Spurs City uh all in January so Johnny, we're going to find out a lot more Johnny on on that exact point does Martinelli get the nod against Manchester City or does uh does the Smith get a look back in imagine being able to keep Emil Smith Rowe on the bench I mean, like the level you've got to be playing at, a guy that scored four goals in his last four substitute appearances. Imagine the talent that you've got to have. I mean, Arsenal have all of a sudden got depth. But the question is, Johnny, how far does that go? Does it go to the level of Manchester City? Where are you? What are you thinking? Um, well, no, certainly. You know, it's that, it's that problem, isn't it, that uh, a lot of commentators will talk about sometimes with football, where if you're a sub and you keep coming on and scoring, then people might start thinking that you're a decent sub. And I don't want to see Emil Smith-Rowe as just a sub. I'd like to see him on the field. But all I'm saying is, you know, I think what's exciting at Arsenal fans at the moment is trying to think of ways to incorporate all of them, of course. But I also think that this little time on the bench will not damage Smith-Rowe. He still looks hungry and he's he's still adding every time he comes onto the field. But right now, there's no question you can't drop Martinelli. He's delivering. He's delivering every game. Um and I also don't completely agree with the notion that it has to be Martinelli or Smith Rowe. They're all playing for those spaces. It just so happens that Saka's dropping worldies yesterday, so you can't even mention his name. He's looking, he's doing doing a madness. Martin Erdegaard, madness as well, you know. And then Martinelli. The whole point is, at some point, right? When you talk about great players, it's so interesting when you think about the setup of a team. But at some point the players start to put their own fingerprints all over that strategy that you've maybe gave them. And they start to reflect the players' attributes that you have. And I, I, I say that because I'm I'm, I'm trying to um, properly explain the effect of Martinelli. Because before, 
when he was trying to establish himself, he played he played within the Arteta um, way uh, uh, of doing things, if you like. And he would just be a player that ran around a lot. And it was like, oh, cool, look, in our quite static and stationary setup, Martinelli has a bit of energy. But he was like a separate entity that had been dropped into a system. Now Martinelli is infusing with the players around him. Suddenly, our setup looks much more dynamic. Like the same Arteta plan and strategy that had been out there before is suddenly appearing to be full of life and full of energy. But that's because if you put a player like Martinelli in there who just does not stop moving, it energizes the players around him and they start doing it as well. And it starts to be contagious within the setup. And he's affecting the way that we now present in terms of the um you know tactics and uh, um and messages that Arteta is trying to get across and i think that that is really exciting because now i i do not underestimate the impact that martinelli and his presence in the team you mentioned it in passing pete about his hounding of the norwich players which basically got the ball rolling for both our opening goals and that becomes not one player running around like a headless chicken. It's part of our attacking lineup. It's a part of our attacking strategy, that Martinelli energy. And I think that we're, you know, we're looking all the better for it. I just want to uh, champion one of my points that I made a few weeks ago, because uh, Matt, we had a little bit of a, a disagreement about it. But I did say a few weeks ago that part of the attacking problem and the lack of chance creation in the system was because we had Aubameyang as our focal point, and the ball wouldn't stick to him. And if uh, if the ball doesn't stick to your striker, your attack can't happen. And now we've got Lacazette in there. Yes, the energy of Martinelli is electrifying to watch. But actually, it, 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 the only reason that you notice uh, Martinelli's energy is because he can run onto the ball because he knows the ball's going to stick to Lacazette and he knows that that pass is going to come into him. That trust creates the runs and it creates the energy. So I think it's like all of the, you know what I love about the, this Arsenal team at the moment? All of the all of the good that's happening isn't really from one place. It's like everything is clicking together at the same time. Yeah, um, well, one of the and- things I was going to say is I think the other, the other piece and we should talk about at some point is the return to form of Thomas Partey because I thought he was brilliant yesterday. And I know it's Norwich and all that, but, you know, we were getting overrun in midfield. Whereas now, when you have a solid base, there's all the other players can just, you know, go forward and, 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 and attack. And I saw something great and it, and it reminded me of a couple of things. So back when Arsenal were Arsenal in that, that sort of 98 to 2004, I remember talking to a friend who was an away fan and he goes, it's terrifying watching Arsenal come at you. It's like snakes, just like they're just like, just, 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 just coming towards your end, and it's just that you go from a defensive situation to an offensive situation so quickly. And then yesterday on Twitter, I saw from someone, and they described this Arsenal team as the, like the red arrows, and I love that thought. And it's just like there's so much pace and movement coming forward, and they're just coming at you from all different directions. And um, and I just love this idea of that. But a lot of that is based on strong defensive foundations, and I think having that party jacker axis working well, having the defence now so much more reliable. I mean, we, I, I feel bad because, you know, a year ago we're like, oh, but the team's not that bad and you should be getting more about more out of it. And you look at it and you're like, that team had nothing. 
There was no attacking potential in there. Defensively, it was like a sieve. We had Bellerin on the right. We, you know, we had Mari in the middle. You know, it was it was an absolute dog's dinner. Um, and and now we're seeing with like an upgrade across the board that uh, the whole system is is looking looking primo. I mean, I mean, I, I agree with that, right? But the thing is, is half the players were already here, you know. So we can't necessarily go, oh, that team was a. It's like, well, Smith Rowe was playing, Saka was playing, and I know they've all got a year better. Yeah, exactly. Gabri- one year ago, Gabri- you mean. Gabrielle exactly was one playing. Year ago. No, I know, but that's what I mean. Like, uh, uh, what what I'm trying to say is, I don't think it's an indictment on people who say that we should be doing better because we should have been doing better, and we're not. We've brought in five players or six players who are, are, are excellent and have proven really well, um, you know, and have integrated well. But realistically, there are other players who were underperforming. Lacazette couldn't get a game before. Now suddenly he's playing and he's playing really well. Martinelli was on the bench for ages. Smith Rowe. So there's loads. So I think it's a bit of give and take. And, and even when we look for how we can start to judge where we are at as a club and in terms of our, you know, development... I know you kind of mentioned that earlier. It's almost like you feel a bit like knee-jerk from a month ago of feeling like we were all very despondent. Yeah, but that's because before we were wildly inconsistent. What is What has changed for me is I look at the results over the last month and I'm like, I, I expect to win games now. Like I don't ex- like, and, I'm, and I love that feeling again. We are putting in quality performances over and over again. So, you know, before it was like, do you remember that famous Theo Walcott quote about, yeah, you know, I'm I'm consistent in patches. Uh, <laughs> and that's what we were doing under Arteta before. We'd have a couple of good games and we never knew where our actual, our mean was. Was it that we, uh, are, the, are we actually the team that we look like when we're playing well? Or are we actually the team that we look like when we're playing shit? Because we keep dishing out equal amounts, whereas now it actually looks like the the pennies drop for me. I, I do feel like his ideas are getting across. The players look fully bought in. We've had outstanding purchases across the board, and for the first time, I see the attacking coherency that I've longed for for so long. And I don't think it's just one or two, you know, odd games anymore. I think that there is a clear vision now, and and that is what is so. Yeah, exciting. I mean, I, mean I, I feel the same, but what I would also say is I don't think we've seen the end of Everton-esque performances this season. Definitely. There are going to be there are going to be more Uniteds. There are going to be more Evertons. Like I think we said at the beginning, do you remember we said, oh, you know, at the moment we're getting a good performance every three games. Then we wanted to get it to every two games. Then we wanted to get it to every one game. So there's just that consistency. And we know that consistency is what young players don't have. I think January is going to be a bit of a sticky month for us. I really do because we're playing some good teams and, you know, the reality is we've been very fortunate with the fixture list over this Christmas period. We, we really, really have. And that, that's played a big part in this role and uh, in this run. And, you know, there's definitely a sense of us having, uh, it's been great because we've put up some confidence, but I think what we have to do, and I think it was Alfred's tweet, former podcaster said, you know, we've got to trust the process through ups and downs. I think it's going to be sticky, but I think, what we know is even when we have a terrible result against somebody, maybe we lose 3-0 to Liverpool and don't put up a fight, go out the League Cup. What we've got to then do is go, we're making progress. Um, 
we've just got to keep going and then and and I think that what we can safely say is we're going to be somewhere around top four this season but the cookie might crumble the wrong way and we might end up sick on the last day or whatever and if that happens if we've seen the progress we can't we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater we just gotta we've got to keep on pushing I think that's that's part of part of the journey that we're on that's very true so I want to move on to the the next section this is just going to be uh me chatting a little bit about um some some of the things I think everybody knows that I'm a bit you know I'm an I'm an Arteta extremist I'm not an ex- <laughs> uh, you, you know I, I I sit I sit on a certain end of the spectrum I, I, I'll admit that I but it's because I like the idea of Arteta and I like the idea of the model that he's created but it's uh, I, I want to talk about the, the the two December miracles that we've had because December's been a good month for us. This time last year, Arsenal were in a mess. We were all on this podcast. We were chatting about end of days. I think I was in Miami, extremely depressed. Um, I think we were all very depressed. And uh, there was a bit of a COVID outbreak. There were a few injuries. And Arteta had to play Emile Smith-Rowe. And this is... Um, I mentioned that yesterday, you know, like there, there are certain things that happen in a young manager's career where they're forced into making the right decision. It happened It happened with Arsene Wenger. You know, he was forced into formations. He was forced into not selling Ashley Cole to Crystal Palace because there was a passport issue. You know, it, 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 it's not, it's, I'm not saying anything bad about Arteta, but we've got to be r- realistic about what the plan was last season. It was William have a three-year deal, and in the third year, you're going to win us the Champions League. It was David Luiz extensions. It was Pablo Marie getting a new contract. Smith Rowe was not on the agenda. Smith Rowe was going out on loan if he didn't play that Chelsea game. But he, he, got his, he got his chance, like a lot of young players do, and he absolutely killed it. And then he played the next game. And then he played the next game. And Arteta was like, you know, it's not, it's unrealistic to expect this level of consistency from a young players. And we were on this podcast and we were saying, I wish he'd just give a little bit more praise to the young players. And then something clicked for Arteta. Arteta realized that older players were not going to change their game for a young manager that had done nothing. Young players were going to go to war for him. And they did. And the second half of the season was incredibly consistent. And then that moment, this time last year, changed the entire direction of Arsenal Football Club. Every player that we signed in the summer was 24 or under. We tried to move out all of the senior players that were causing a problem. David Luiz did not get his deal renewed despite playing really well in the back half of last season. That is a fact. And all these people coming at me saying, oh, well, that's your opinion. It's not. I I promise you, go and speak to anybody. Arsenal Football Club, and they'll tell you exactly the same. This December, I feel like we've had a similar moment. This December miracle was everybody kind of realised from October onwards that our captain, our most expensively uh, recompensed player, was stinking the place out. The players knew it, the fans knew it, the coach knew it, but there's no easy way of getting rid of your captain. And I know that... that he Aubameyang was dropped after the United game because he wasn't being good in training. And I think Arteta set a little bit of a trap for him, letting him go away because he knew that his entourage would get in his ear. And then Oba fucked it coming back. And when you think about the reaction to missing a late flight to visit your sick mom, it's an unbelievable overreaction to take away the captaincy, 
to make him train on his own and essentially kick him out of the club. So Arteta has made a massive decision again this December. And once again, it seems like uh, a, a decision that that could that could wreck a, a career has been read correctly by Arteta because Ben White came out on the press and he said, uh, you know, he's a nice cat, he's a nice character, but it is what it is. Because Ben White knows that those long balls that he puts into Aubameyang aren't sticking. So, and you know, all the players are talking about it. So it's just fascinating to see that Arteta is now developing um, his, his understanding. He's reading the room a little bit better and, he, and he's made another good decision. And this December miracle for me is the last big decision that Arteta, you know, last major painful decision that he's going to have to make. If he gets rid of Aubameyang in January, there's not really a big problem in the squad anymore. It's his squad. Everybody is playing for him. There's no egos. There's no uh, superstars that are going to be complaining. You know, you can put Smith Rowe on the bench for four games and he won't cause problems because he's 21 years old. So I I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, like the, the luck that comes in management that sometimes you stumble into the right solution. And as you get more mature as a manager, you get a bit more confidence to make bold decisions. Um, well, just I think wanted one to of throw the other, it out there. No, I, I, I agree. And I think one of the other things that he's done, which hopefully we're going to reap the benefits of, is I think he's pretty good at fixing these problems. He's basically prepared to go through the pain of fixing problems. So he doesn't just push things off until a later date. It feels like he's learned now that when there's something that's not right, just go and although you have to deal with the pain sooner, just get it fixed. I was really impressed with the fact that William, he, we managed to get William off the books. Can you imagine if he was stinking the place out in the reserves, hearing about him, still on the subs bench? Just It would have been toxic, uh, but he, he he got rid of him on that. And I oh, think, you know, we'll look lucky there, didn't we? We got lucky that William wanted to go by all accounts. Wanted to I be think... loved. Wanted I to think... be loved. Yeah, I think, I... but it doesn't really matter how it gets done. If it gets done, uh, no one cares, you know? And um... Arteta creating aggressive environments for players that aren't wanted. I mean, making Oba train on his own. He knows Oba feeds off fan emotion and good vibes. Well, well, and, and, and we'll look back go, and we'll, we'll look back and we'll go, you know, Two and a half years to two and a half years to change a culture at a club. I mean, I'd rather it was one and a half. I'd rather it was one. But given the issues, the length of contracts, the personnel, the ten to fifteen years of malaise. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. I think we might be able. I don't know because he hasn't done it yet. But if he manages to do it and turn it around and get us competing for the Premier League again, then you'd look back and go. Two and a half years to change the culture at a club is is pretty good in in in, tru- in in difficult times. Now he hasn't done it yet, but you know we could be six months away from achieving that. Yeah. So so I mean, overall, to, to go to Pete's um, uh, original statements, I, I I'm in I'm in agreement with the thrust of it, and and largely what Matt said there as well in terms of I do think that Arteta is starting to learn from mistakes he's not going to be a guy I don't think anyone is who's never going to make mistakes again but what we wanted was him to stop making the same mistakes over and over again and I do think he plays you know his cards in a bit more of a savvy way I I will say I think there are a few assumptions in what you were saying Pete that we 
we don't know. And I, I would actually probably err on the side of scepticism with, in the sense that, you know, Arteta's playing chess, not checkers with Obama Yang and saying, go and see your mum, knowing he's going to come back late. I mean, the reality is, is I think that it's much more likely that he said, go and see your mum. You're obviously not playing very well anyway. And then Obama Yang did somewhat what um, Arteta expected him to and was, you know, a bit um, slack when it comes to timings. And then it's more likely that Arteta said, I'm going to take the captaincy away from you because we can't have a captain who doesn't turn up on time. And then Obama Yang came back at him with hostility or, you know, stern words. And he said, right, well, you're done. Uh, and, and that's more likely been... I feel like there's been something more than just arriving back late. He's probably said something and then Arteta has made it clear, you're done at the club. And the fact is, is that what's weakened Aubameyang's position is that there is no back, you know, there's no backdraft with the fans where, you know, there's no anger from us. So you can't do that to Aubameyang. We're all like, thank God, get someone else in that team. Yeah. You know, and so suddenly... Aubameyang's position is zero because he's been stinking the place out for so long. So I do think that Arteta is has definitely improved with the way that he both manages players individually and he's managing the team for that matter. But overall, um, I think that a lot of the positive um, consequences of the Aubameyang situation has ultimately been that Aubameyang's been shit and seems like he's not really that committed. I mean, there's one other thing that we've talked about, Pete. would be interested to get your point of view, which is fan capital for Mikel Arteta. Because <laughs> his fan capital meter, Arteta's, just seems to be going up and down and up and down. So we, he came in, won the FA Cup, fan capital, all-time high. Shocking start to the season. <laughs> Anyone else would have been gone. You know, that run would have finished any manager in the Premier League. But he had the fan capital from the previous from the previous season got through it somehow <laughs> okay into the season but not great and then you know that terrible run at the beginning of the season but managed to just cling on and then put that run together but right now I don't think Arteta's fan capital is probably at, it's not quite at FA Cup levels because we've seen what happened since but it's probably at the second highest peak it's been since he's been coached and I think that's the reason why it's easier for him to make these decisions because it's he's not he's in a position of strength, and I think he knows that as well. And has gone while I'm in, while I'm in this strength, I know from my own experience how quickly this can ebb and ebb and ebb and flow. I'm gonna take this this moment in time after a positive run to make this change. And um, and I think he's 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 been pretty Machiavellian, but I think it's a smart move. Well, you, you generally know when uh, a manager's fan fan capital is up because I, I had loads of people in my mentions saying yesterday, oh, the, the Smith Rowe, you know, you can't say that that was luck. And it's like, listen, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Arteta, but you can't tell me that he gave a three-year deal to a 250 grand a week 32-year-old because he was just waiting to put Smith Rowe in in December and end that guy's career. So I think his fan capital was high at the moment. There are a few reasons for that. Number one, even if you're the most miserable Arsenal fan in the world, if you've stepped foot in the Emirates and felt that atmosphere, it's very difficult 
to uh, disconnect your like for the players and what they do on the pitch and in the manager. And I, you know, I know that there's still a little bit of I like the players, but I don't like the manager. But it's starting to come closer together. The second one is he's made big decisions in the past and they've been bad. You know, he made a big decision on William. If William had got 15 assists last season and 18 goals, then fan capital was at high. This season, he's making big decisions and they're working. And the best managers in football make big decisions. Jose Mourinho, he'd always come into a club and he'd pick a player that's massive and he'd bench him. And then you have him out of the club, but you know, in six months, completely irrational because he might end up managing that player a few months, you know, a couple of years down the line. But Mourinho always made big decisions and they always made sense. And I think Arteta is starting to do that. And the reality is, it's hard to look at the table and not see progress. You know, we're making progress in uh, from an attacking perspective. Our defense is good. We've got a great goalkeeper, and we're doing little things. You know, like I was noticing a, a Norwich game. Uh, Odegaard didn't hit the target, but his free kick was within a mile of the goal. <laughs> that, that feels like something new. Then, uh, then you look at our the, the way that we defend set pieces. You know, we we were terrible from set pieces for for years until Mertesacker came under Wenger, and now we you never worry about a corner with Arsenal, and now we're even a threat from a corner. All of our all of our our corner kicks go past the front post. So I think there's a lot of positivity. I think fan cap it was up. But, you know, you lose against Manchester City, you lose heavy in the League Cup, and then you lose to Spurs, and things go to shit pretty quickly um, with the fan base. So I think the the start of the year is going to be quite important there. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, that little point as well we talked about with set pieces. We, I think we mentioned it briefly on the pod, but I don't know if we went in that deep. And that is, you know, to focus on the influence of the new set piece, piece coach that we've got at the club. And clearly, like, we are so much more a threat from set pieces these days. And you even see, like, players, when we've scored from corners or delivered decent free kicks we've scored from, and they're running over to the bench, you know, to, to kind of really commemorate the fact that it is... Um, you know, a massive improvement from us from not only defending set pieces, but also attacking them. And we do carry that threat. And I think that, you know, spreads out into other areas of our game. We're much more of a threat physically. You know, we've got a team that doesn't mind putting their body around the place nowadays. And it's so refreshing to see that now. Gabriel just having people up all the time. Do you know what I mean? We gave Norwich an undressing yesterday. Let's not get away. Let's, you know, let's not get away from that. At the end of the day, they won't stay in this league. But when they do are playing in the championship next year, they'll think back and go, Arsenal gave us a hiding. Okay, so we probably are better away from out their way for another year. And it's we we need it as fans. We need to see us giving people wallops. We do. Just to remind us that we're actually some of the big boys again. And I've got to say, it feels like we are one of the big boys again. It feels like when we roll into town, we get people's attention. Not not you know, upstart teams thinking we can jump them this year. No, we're dishing out beatings. Who's up next? And, you know, you said, of course, the 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 uh, uh, feeling around the ground could change if we lose to City or Spurs. I, I, I'm not so much City. I mean, we've been giving ourselves passes for losing to City for years. Like, oh, yeah, don't worry, it's City. Nowhere near them. Liverpool can slap us around. That's fine. I want to see a decent performance against them. But the main thing is, is us against Spurs... We look for, in my opinion, we're going to be the ones knocking about for it. I don't want to lose that horribly because it could change the narrative. It definitely could. But I think we can do them. 
they're very top heavy in terms of their players. You know, they rely on two players who are world-class yeah. talents. Outside of that, I'll take all the Arsenal team. You know, it, that's the reality of it. They've got some they're decent playing players. Emery, they're playing like Emery-like football. Get them on the overlap. I it wouldn't is. want that. It I wouldn't is. want content ball. Whereas, whereas, look at our squad. Look at our team. Our best players are young. They come in, we've got more energy than a Tottenham Hotspur, and we look dangerous going forward, and it doesn't rely on Harry just spanking goals in from nowhere or Son just doing, a, a, you know, a disgusting stuff all the time. They are not, I hope anyway, I hope I'm right, they're not built for the long haul in a way that we have tied our camel to the horse. Uh, uh, get my, uh, <laughs> what are you doing to this poor horse? <laughs> Strangling this analogy, to be honest. But um, we've... <laughs> We've tied our camel to the post of youth and exuberance. And ultimately, I think that's a good bet to have made because they won't get, they're not going to get old over the season. They're going to have energy all year. So if they can keep performing in this way, then they're going to be able to see it through, I think. And I think we could get top four. Yeah. And we just need this positivity. Yeah. I think it's, we're now, it's, we're now. Back half of the season, it's just there's three results we need to be looking for. Number one is the Arsenal result. Number two is the, is the Spurs result. Number three is the United result. We're in a straight shootout yeah. at fourth spot against those two teams. And all we need to do is get better results than those two teams. And if we do, we'll get fourth. And who knows? We might even get higher. Who knows? You know, you, you, you never know, but you just got to put a good run together. But those are the only two results. Beat every single week. We've got it. Equal or beat their results. And if we do that, then fourth is ours. Well, Antonio Conte's had, what, six home games in a row? I mean, like, the luck is just falling for him. They've got some really tough away games. And what, what I love about a Conte team is he has the propensity. He's either going to take him to top four and it's going to be no problem. And then the problems will come next season. Or it's all going to unravel. He's going to get a couple of big injuries and then he's going to make a big song and dance about not having money because Spurs are skint. The Harry Kane deal is the only chance that Conte has got to buy his way out of this problem. That is the reality. And Ralph Ranić does not have the players to play his system. So, and and like, I, I love Ralph Ranić. Like, he's a real hipster choice. But in a dressing room with Paul Pogba and Ronaldo and Fernandez, I, I wonder. Right, I want to move on to the final player that I want to talk about today. Um, because I know, Johnny, I know you've been excited to talk about him. Uh, Martin Erdegaard has created more chances, 17, more big chances, four, and played more through balls, eight, than any other player in the Premier League so far this December what is going on here? Martin Erdegaard, is he uh, low-key one of the, the sleeper signings of the summer? Have we got a star in the making? Let's talk about Martin Erdegaard and the strings that he's pulling. Johnny? I mean, I mean, from my, from my perspective, right, someone, they'll remain unnamed. They got at me on Twitter and said, um, basically insinuated that I was slagging Martin Erdegaard off or saying I'd I didn't want him at the club. And that's just factually incorrect. I never said I did not want Martin Erdegaard. I simply said that I would have preferred James Madison in the team. Another guy going bonkers, by the way. He's not looking shit, is he? It's not like, oh, you got that one. No, no. He looks sick. And to be honest, you know, I think it's like for like in terms of the performances they're putting in between those two. So they're both good players. But what is exciting is Erdegaard is going a little bit beyond 
what I thought he not. It's not necessarily that I didn't think he could get to this level because I, I, I did think that was in him. I didn't necessarily think it would happen this quickly and he'd have this level of influence over the team this quickly. And that was partly because we've actually seen him play at Arsenal before. Because we had the half of the season last year with him, um, it was kind of actually uh, a little bit of a, a shot against him because we'd as Arsenal fans seen him play for us. And whilst he was a decent player, I thought he was good. He didn't. He wasn't having this kind of impact outside of a, you know a glimpse into it when we saw him you know lead a, a comeback against West Ham United at their ground in that wonderful game. Apart from that, he was good, but not like you know tear up the contract. Good, like re-sign him straight away. It was, it was like you know you're decent, but I don't know if you're necessarily going to get us to the next level. He now is the next level. He is Boom. looking absolutely sick. Rolls Royce, eat your heart out. It's it's the balls on the turn. It's instant, you know, being able to play. Let's bring this this lovely little turn back. Slide rule pass. You know, oh. don't hear it enough. And at the end of the day, Erdegaard has got slide rules coming out his ass. He does it all the time. <laughs> it's just, it's lovely. Have a slide rule. Oh, I tripped over and there's another slide rule. It's lovely. And... He's catching people in stride. He is adding. How ironic, you know, one of the things I held against him at times is I didn't think he was that fast, which is why I preferred Madison. But he actually speeds up our game by how quick he plays the ball, regardless of the fact he's not particularly fast in in terms of running. He transitions the ball fast. He, He can take the ball on the move. It's wonderful. It's great to watch. And he is looking like as exciting a piece of the puzzle right now as there is. He, he really is up there. And, and I think, you know, arguably, it's only really um, Saka for me who is performing at a better level at this stage. Just because overall, I think that we're about to see Saka start doing something really, really bonkers, like being one of the best players in the league. But, you know, Erdegaard right now is is playing at a very, very high level and we should all be very, very impressed by what we've seen from him so far. Matt, no one, no one in my Arsenal Rolodex has got a more photographic memory for football players and um, their place in history than you. When you watch Martin Erdegaard out on the pitch, where where do the vibes come from? What are you thinking of? Who does he remind you of? Or does he remind you of anybody? I think it's. I don't think he's there yet. Well, clearly, he's not there yet, and. He, the chances are he'll probably never get there. But I think if you were going to make a comparison with a with an Arsenal player, you would say someone like um, that Dennis Bergkamp. I oh. mean, he's, <laughs> he's, oh. he's clearly nowhere near as good as Dennis Bergkamp, but he's a lot younger than Dennis Bergkamp was when he first came to the club. But, Similar you know, pace? You know, I think I think uh, a lot of attributes. But, you know, Bergkamp was the Iceman, and Erdegaard is Iceman too, right? He's He's got that calmness, that coolness, uh that sort of drive, that, that sort of that steeliness behind his eyes. You know, he, he needs to make it. He wants to make it. Nothing is going to get in his way. He's got a sense of ruthlessness about him. Uh, you know, he's, he's not, all, uh, he's not all, all, all smiles and giggles. You know, he's serious about what he does. And so um, he's got a, a wand of a foot. And, yeah, let's just see, see how good he can be. But... You know, he's definitely from a from a character standpoint and from a potential, you know, uh, the, some of the potential he offers. I'd say, Iceman too. 
You know, I, yeah. I, I, sorry, Johnny. I was just going to say, for me, he is more, I mentioned it on the last pod, but he's more a fab, Fabregas. That's what I actually, I, they play slightly different positions, obviously. But do you remember that period where Fabregas started to go, oh, I am so clearly the best player on the team. I'm going to have to play attacking midfielder because even though it's not my natural, natural position, I'm just, I'm better in my non-natural position than you guys are in this position and it's the one you want to play. And when uh, when Fabregas moved into that role where he could play those slide rule passes, but he could also bang a goal every now and then, was over all our set pieces. That is where I think Erdegaard is starting to step into. And, you know, I'm just purring at this because Fabregas in his pot, I'm not saying Erdegaard's there yet, but Fabregas in his pomp. Was Fabregas and Burkham. Well, I'll tell you, you, um, you two are going to get some pelters for that. And I'll <laughs> tell you who, uh, who's who, a comparison with Smith Rowe that we haven't talked about before because you know, I'm a, uh, is he's turning into a bit of a Pires. Uh, mm. the guy can't yeah. stop scoring, yeah, he's a brilliant finisher. And, um, and you know, Pires played on the left, but in modern football, Pires would be in a 4 3 3, he'd be a left sided striker, I think. Uh, but just the way that Smith Rowe steals in and just keeps on getting on the end of stuff, bursting through midfield, he's developing some some Pires vibes for me in the way he keeps doing that. Slightly unconventional running style, uh, six foot, and you you don't expect him to be six foot, and you know defining games. I called him the Smithrance. He's the Smithrance. I didn't take off like I thought it was gonna. Um, but you know, <laughs> you know, I another think, night, I think, wasted night, AP. I know, another, <laughs> another wasted night. Like, what's the, what's the hashtag for this guy? So, I, I, I think the uh, the Martin Ertegaard story is fantastic. You know, he, he was he was getting some he was getting so much shit from Arsenal fans in the summer that he deleted his social apps. Um, he had a, a pretty poor start, kept out of the side by Lacazette, and now he's just found his way. I think he, you know, after the Everton game. I'm sure he mentioned something about cliques in the dressing room, or he mentioned something to that effect. But I, I love, I love the players after sending, you know, Saka sending him a little emoji with a with a present saying thank you for my, you know, thank you for my gift. But yeah, I, I think um, I think there are shades of Burkamp there. You know, incredible professional, uh, ice cold. You know, he's just built for football. I think that chip on the shoulder that he's got is going to pay dividends. As the season goes on, he was he was bombed by Ancelotti. He was bombed by Zidane. Nobody wanted him in Madrid except Florentino Perez. And now he's putting up trees in a harder league. And I, I think it's it's impossible to drop him at the moment. And it has never felt impossible to drop Erdegaard since he's joined. But it just goes to show you that this league is difficult to adapt to. And I will, I will just mention one more thing. Uh, I, I always think a great place to look for talented players is like the Madrid or the Barcelona graveyard. You know, the young players, when they, you know, they snatch a player at 16 and this young kid goes to Barcelona thinking that he's going to be messy and he's going to be playing in their first team at 17. And then they just get cast away. And Arsenal had a lot of success there. You remember Patrick Vieira was, uh, you know, in the wasteland of Milan's bench. You know, I think I think that there's some value to be had looking there, and you know, a lot of a lot of football fans turn their nose up. Oh, well, if you didn't make it in Madrid, you can't make it at Arsenal, and how wrong they proved to be. So that was a good scouting one. I, I did lie. There is another player that I want to talk about. Saka. I want to talk about Saka. Everyone, people complaining that he didn't have en- enough goals and assists. 
and now he's single-handedly making the difference. And Mac, I want to I want to go to you on this one because you drew comparisons to a player that wasn't an Arsenal player, but I did like it, and I'd like to see Johnny's reaction if he missed the tweet. Who did you say Saka reminded you of? I said he's reminding me a bit of um, Iron Robin, uh, who is a player that uh, I hated playing against. He well, he loved playing against us. Oh yeah, and you know, phenomenal player for Chelsea was phenomenal. Uh, Bayern obviously, but you always knew exactly what he was going to do. But it didn't matter. He just kept on doing it, uh, and that was that sort of he, he, on the right side. He cuts in and he and he and he and he and he and he, and he, and he bends one in. And Saka just seemed like there were the instances yesterday where he didn't, you knew exactly what he was going to try and do, but you know, the body movement, uh, the accuracy with the striking the ball, it's just, it's just all there. And uh, for, I know some people get annoyed with the, uh, with the comparing to Arsenal legends. So I'm comparing to a different type of legend to the the game. So interested to see whether anyone's uh, agreeing. Johnny, what do you think? That is a very interesting one. I've not, not thought about that before, but I, I like it, Matt. I like it a lot. I do think he offers a lot. And I I am not low in terms of my ratings on Iron Robin. I thought that guy was an absolute... He, he was a crazy player. He, was, he would do stupid things all the time. And I do think that one of the best things about Saka one of the, uh, and one of the things that they clearly have a similarity on is that his balance is so good. It's, it, it's, it's staggering. Because he's moving. At, you know what? I actually think that Arsenal fans have sat there and thought, Saka's fast, right? He's a fast player. But I don't think we really appreciate how quick he is. Like, one of the reasons being, I'm not just talking about who might win in a 100-metre sprint. There's a difference between that and how quickly you can carry the ball with you. And he has such good close control and can move at such a speed with the ball that we haven't seen this for a long time. I, I I used to cry out for having a player on the wing that you thought could always get the ball and beat their player. And it feels like we, we've got it now. Like Saka nowadays, particularly I loved, I loved watching him for England in the Euros. But nowadays when he gets the ball, it doesn't matter who he's up against. He's like, I am going to run you. And he does. He just, no one wants it with this guy. And now you're starting to see him being able to make more of a difference in terms of end product, goals and assists on a more regular basis now. I do think that he obviously had a lull earlier on in the season, which which I would attribute to um, his efforts in the summer. But that seems to have gone now. And I think he's looking as good as he's ever looked for us right now. And I do think that, uh, first of all, I, I've said at the start of the pod, I, I, I want to make it clear, I think Saka's our best player. I have for a while. I actually think, I don't think he's that far away from being world-class. I'm not even joking. I actually think he he is just a hop and a step away from it because he has to, has to, to even, you know, be looked at in those terms, start delivering on end product, like, for at least it to the end of the season, maybe beyond, you know, but it needs to be, you don't go more than two games without scoring or assisting. That's 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 what your talent would suggest that you should be doing. That's what players who the likes of Salah and Mane do. And that's the level I think that Saka can get to. And I think that it is, you know, demonstrable how great he is when you think about what would happen if Saka became available on the transfer market right now. Who wouldn't be interested? Seriously, 
what club would you say would not be interested in signing him? His age profile, the way that he is as a player, the character of the man, he is looking like one of the elite, elite, elite talents in European football for, for anyone under the age of 23. You know, you're looking at Haaland, Mbappe. Well, after that, where, where, give me some names that are, you know, a, a buffer between these people and Saka. I don't think there are many. In terms of in his age bracket, who could you say is virtually guaranteed to at least, you know, do a stint as being a world-class player? I think Saka's there. Barring injury, he will get there. He is very, very, very good already. But, uh, you know, his potential is to go even higher to the sky. Matt, I, I want to I take Johnny's point there and sort of frame it into a question. Uh, Saka and Smith Rowe between them have 19 goals and assists um, this season already. Martinelli was called talent of the century by Klopp. Uh, Erdegaard is is blowing up. Do you have any fears about how long we've got until City and Liverpool start knocking on doors? Or do you think Arsenal will do something different to what Arsene Wenger did? Because Arsene couldn't keep his young guns together. And if he had, that was a title-winning team. What 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 has Arteta got to do differently this time? And 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 is this is this new project any different? Or you know, what well, do you think? I, I'll give you a pushback that I hear from some friends of mine who are fans of other teams when I talk about Saka and Smith Rowe and Martinelli, and they say other clubs in the Premier League have got as good a groups of youngsters. They're just not in the first team because the quality of their team is higher. And in that particularly, I'm talking about Chelsea. So you look at uh, what's the guy at Palace, Connor, uh, Connor Gallagher. Gallagher. Uh, Connor Gallagher. You know, can't get anywhere near the Chelsea team, but like tearing up trees at Palace. Billy Gilmore, uh, Hudson Adoy, like all of all of those players. And I think Saka's a lot better than Hudson Adoy. But like you look at that crop of players and they say, you're being forced to play all these youngsters, and that's good for you. But it's because the rest of your team and the rest of your squad isn't as good. So I think it's important to retain some perspective and go, they're a really, really good crop of youngsters, but they're still not as good as the first teamers in the in the in the clubs that are higher than us in the league. And it's all very well talking about potential, but you know, there's a graveyard of players with amazing potential. <laughs> and we've seen quite a lot of them at Arsenal, DRB. Will share all of those players that we all thought were going to go on and get better every year, but it's it's not a linear path to success. So I don't think we can afford to be complacent and just assume that these players are going to grow up together. And you know, outside the Emirates, originally Project Youth 1.0, you know, Kieran Gibbs, uh, Ramsey, Miami. Ramsey, Wilshire. I can't even remember the others. There are a couple of others. Uh, Chambo, like, yeah, Walker. and. And yeah. and Walcott and guess what? It didn't come good. It didn't come good for whatever reason. Some of the players suffered from injuries, some of them from loss of form. The, the team disintegrated. So what we can't do is be complacent and just believe that these five players are all going to continue developing at the pace they're developing and become world-class players. What we come do on, know... It, you're, you're killing me here. Like, I'm, we, I, I was... I, I was it's a boner killer. I've got a league. No, I'm just. I just want to retain some perspective. But the big thing that that, that stopped 
Project Youth 1.0 from working, in my opinion, was a lack of investment. It wasn't, It was, that was the thing that stopped it. We could all see exactly what we needed for about five years. We needed a monster DM. <laughs> we needed a killer centre mm. half. We needed a goalkeeper. And for some reason, Arsene Wenger every year wouldn't go out and buy those players. He'd buy another tricky winger or whatever. And I think that that was the reason why. And, and in the summer that, that Fabregas and Nasri left, which was really the, the summer that killed us before, ironically, Arteta and Mertesacker and all those kids, this, that, that was the end of Project Youth. It was, it was the sense that we weren't committed to becoming Champions League winners, Premier League winners. We were... We were doing Project Youth because we thought that it was it was the cheap way to do it. Mm. And so the way that we're going to keep Saka and Smith Rowe and all those guys involved is not by, I think we have to take the learnings, and it's by investing heavily in the additional players we need around them to make them fly. It's not going, oh, Hale End is now our academy to deliver the next generation and we've got Aziz and we've got Patino. It's going, yeah, and we're going to spend 100 million on a striker next year. So you've got someone absolutely naughty up top. Yes, you know, we think that we've got good centre-half, but someone's come on the market and we're going to spend 60 million on them because they're the new best centre-half around. So I think that what I'm really getting at is we have to show a lot of ambition to keep them. It's not just about contract size. It's about showing that we're committed to bringing in the best players in Europe consistently. And when someone on the market becomes available, we are a project that people want to go to ahead of Liverpool, ahead of City, ahead of Chelsea. So, I, I mean, I, I would, I would, there's a couple of, I, I agree with definitely some of that. There's a few things I'll push back on. Num- number one is that, I mean, when you think about the first project youth under Wenger, what we were trying to do in that period, we were just trying to stabilise. So we were just trying to solidify the fact that we were getting top four. We weren't even trying to push on. That's one of the, the, the kind of lies, Wenger, the great lies Wenger told, which ultimately lost trust with the fans because we were we had these talented young players, but we never spent the money and invested in the way that you talked about that was, you know, that was ever going to push us into challenging again. And it just seemed like we were dying a slow death to balance the books. And that was incredibly frustrating but I will just push back on you know um the characterization from these mates that you've talked about who are saying that our youngsters ain't quite there I mean let's be real Saka is as good as any English player out there like in terms of youngster for me I think he's as talented as Foden some people would rather go for Foden I get it but what have we seen in the summer Saka was playing for England and was the best player on the pitch most weeks. Like most most times he's playing games, he was playing at a top, top level and being the best player in our whole team. Apart from that, I think Mason Mount is another guy who's come through that Chelsea Academy that you were talking about. And he's shown that he's a top player. He can play in a Champions League final. But I'd rather have Saka personally. I think he's a more talented football player. And so other guys like Loftus-Cheek and that, they're all good players in terms of bulking out squads. But I think that Saka has the potential to be the best of his generation in terms of English talent at a time when English talent has never been as prosperous in world football. It, it's, we are one of the top, top teams now. And I think Saka is one of the top, top players. So, you know, but ergo, he is, for me, one of the best talents in world football. And I think that Smith Rowe, some Arsenal fans are more, more high on Smith Rowe than they are Saka. I don't, personally, I wouldn't go that far, but I think, Nate, you can speak their name in the same breath. So 
I think even though we're not quite there yet, they have world-class talent in a way that, you know, Billy Gilmore, I'm sorry, mate, no, you're playing at Norwich, you found your level. You know what I mean? It, like, we're talking about Conor Gallagher. Look like a decent player, mate. Will you make the jump? I don't know, but you ain't made that jump yet. Smith Rowe looks better than Conor Gallagher. Don't worry, don't get that muddled up either. You know, there are good players, but right now I think we, you know, are at the top table of English talent. And that is for the first time in John, a very long Johnny, time. Uh, uh, let, let, let's take this a step further because you're you're Chelsea's supporting mates, Matt. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. Uh, so uh, Jack Grealish, uh, 13 appearances season, two goals, two assists, been dropped to the bench. Saka's got a better record than him in the Premier League. Smith Rowe's got a better uh, record than him in the Premier League. Listen, I would swap uh, Gabriel Martinelli for Mo Salah. Don't get me wrong, but the position where the club are at at the moment, like Liverpool would love to have a Gabriel Martinelli coming through the ranks and they don't have it. Martin Erdegaard, he's young. Is he at the the creative levels of of what Manchester City have got at the moment? No, but give it two years. Like, I think it's really unfair to say the only reason these kids are playing is because Arsenal don't have better. It's it's, it's, It's slightly different. They're playing because Arsenal believe in two years' time they're going to be the best about and they'd rather just take the pain over the next season because in two years' time, Arsenal are going to be challenging for the Premier League. And then City are going to be out of a cycle because Pep will have gone. Klopp is going to be maybe out of Liverpool or trying to manage a, a rebirth there. Spurs are still going to be awful. I, don't, I think it's a right, So let me, let me ask say. you a question because I'm just trying to balance, balance perspectives. So there is a reality that we have been starved of quality. That, that's it. So when we see someone good Truth. that we like, we become, we we over-index on them and we become obsessive. So let me let, take you an example of like a Chelsea player like Mason Mount, right? For Chelsea fans, he's a, he's a decent player, right? But is 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 he better than Martin Odegaard? Would you, what, like, tell me your perspective on that because Mason Mount's won the Champions League with Chelsea, whereas we're getting a hard-on for Martin Odegaard after three decent games. That's the point I'm making, which is we have to... If we want to regain our position at the top of, of English football, we need to recalibrate the way that we, the, the way that we the, we rate players, and it's not about doing it for one year. It's about doing it for three, four, five years, and Saka is well on the way to do that. Smith Rowe, on the way to doing, it. he's done it for one year. What a year he's had! Incredible, yeah. and you can't ask for more than that. But I'm interested to to get your perspective yeah. on that because we've just seen too much pain with Wilshire and DRB, like brilliant talents, brilliant talents, all the talent in the world that didn't go and win major honours with Arsenal. So, so you know. I, I, would, I would say uh, this crop of players is different. I don't think that when I was writing about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I ever thought he was going to hit peak anything. Really? I don't think any... I thought I he was. Think, he was outstanding. I don't, he, I don't he, think any he of He was us... beasting AC Milan from defensive no, midfield. He was, AC. So... he was. He was. No, he was. No, no one knew what he was going to be. <laughs> Theo Walcott, everybody knew he was a bit shit. Um, I think... There <laughs> I, were, loved, like, I love hindsight. No, no, no. But I, it wasn't because I was writing about it at the time. I don't... I like <laughs> Theo Walcott was like always wanted to play through the middle and he just wasn't good enough. He was he, he was a battering ram. He was never good enough to take us back to the promised land because we'd seen what the promised land could have been like from youth players in the original Project Youth. So would I swap Mason Mount for anybody at Arsenal at the moment? No. But I think the answer to my question that I asked you was the difference between, and Johnny kind of answered it, the difference between Project Youth and Project Premium Youth is I think 
if Arsenal had the opportunity to sign Vlahovic in the summer for 60 million, we'll do it. And we never did that under Wenger. We never we never signed an enforcer to play next to Cesc Fabregas. We never signed a really dominant centre back. You know, like we, we never we never pushed on a level. And I think KSE, I mean, Johnny, you watch a lot of uh, NFL. I think KSE are trying to invest in players at their at their LA Rams franchise at the moment. So there's an appetite to win trophies. So I I I think the I think that we're on the right path. I don't think we're overrating our superstar players. I think we overrate players like Patino, who's not played yet, or Ainsley, you know, or, or, or even Joe Willock in the summer. Remember when fans were saying we should just invest minutes in Joe Willock, not Erdegaard? I think that's where we go wrong. But you know, you you've been around the block long enough, Matt. You you know Smith Rowe is special. You know Martinelli's special and you know Saka's special and you know that there's a real high chance that they're going to be superstars in two years because you've seen those players come through before. So so, so my, my thing is, is this. So the reason why I say about like first project youth was about maintaining our position. These group of youngsters, I think they've looked at it and thought the best way that we can get back to challenging the top, top teams are to grow world-class players. Now, you can't do that if you don't have the talent in the first place. But if you do, if you nurture them in the right way, it's the only way you might end up from where Arsenal was with five world-class players in your team. If they've come through the academy and all gone bonkers at the same time, and then suddenly we're onto something crazy because we're not going to be able to sign five world-class players uh, you know, otherwise. And then we've had a very good transfer window. Who knows where they could end up? But if we got someone like Lekonga at a point just before he went in, you know, Super Saiyan in midfield or, or you know, what we're seeing from Saka and that. Now, to just come back specifically on your point as well, Matt, it, I, I don't underrate someone like a Mason Mount who seems like quite a vanilla player. He is playing, he is one of the best players in Europe. You have to say it. He is a guy we don't get, because we're like, oh, it's just Mason Mount at Chelsea. It's not a big deal. He's won a European Cup and he is integral to that team. Like, every Chelsea manager that comes in plays him. And the only reason I'm not trying to, you know, give a, 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 a wax lyrical at Mason Mount, I'm just trying to say that all of the top teams in England, which are the best teams in Europe, have young English talent at the core of what they're trying to do. They So it's not like you're just we're just fudging English players into holes. And I'm saying that the English, the young English players are as good as any players that they have. Because Chelsea rely on Mount. Reese James is their, you know, best right back. Liverpool, Trent Alexander-Arnold might even be their best player. He's certainly pushing Salah close. He he is an absolute world-class talent. So I'm not just trying to go, oh, yeah, Saka's the English guy. No, Saka's one of the best English players. And English players are some of the best in the world right now. So I do think that Saka could become world-class very quickly. I think he's the first one that could go there. So I'm not just trying to say it like, he's the bet, let's make the most of what we got. I actually think if Saka didn't play for Arsenal, there's no way in the world we could sign this guy. No way. No way in the world. If we couldn't sign Smith-Rowe, and he's slightly lower profile, but Saka's already played and been a big player in a European Championship final. So I'm not just getting gassed because he's done it for Arsenal. He's done it for England at the top, top level. And he is showing that he's a talisman in a way that if he was playing for France or something, we'd be like, who is that guy? He just keeps turning up, doesn't he? He keeps being a problem. That's the dude. He plays for Arsenal. And I tell you what, if everyone can keep pace with him, we're going to be really scary. I think, I think we can, 
become a really big big team with Saka and some of his buddies realising their potential. So we're going to head into the final chapter of this show because it's gone on a little bit. Is everybody good to stay on for the yeah, final? Yeah, yeah, you all yeah, good. Yeah. So every it's, it's too hot. It's too fiery in this podcast to, to jump out now. <laughs> too fiery. Okay, Arsenal head into the January transfer window. There are clearly some needs in the squad. There are a bunch of players that could possibly leave. Will Arsenal move for players this January? And if so, what are we doing? What would you two do? Matt, what would what 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 are your hopes and dreams for this January? I mean, my hopes and dreams is that we but what do I know? Um, but from the outside, I'd love us to go and make a deal with Vlavic and get the deal done before it really gets hot in the summer and just spend the money. And I love it when you bring players in in January and then they have six months to bed in. Think Adebayor, think Odegaard, think Theo Walcott. Andre um, Arshavin. Yeah, because it just means that it's a free hit for the first six months. No one's expecting you to do much, Kanu. But if you can just get a few goals, then you come back, you have a full pre-season, you already know exactly what you're doing. So I like players coming in in January and doing that. When they're when they're, when you're buying them for the future, what I don't like is when you're buying them because it's panic stations and you're in deep shit and you've got to try and get out of it. So, um, so that's sort of how I how I how I feel. I'd love to go and, and sign someone like that, but that's also probably not a reality. I don't want us to to uh, to to just make a rash signing for the first time in fifteen ten years. I actually have faith in the in in the club to bring in the right players. So if they tell if they've earned the right with the last transfer window to say, you know what, no, no one fitting our profile and at the right price was available, so we decided to wait till the summer. Because the way that transfers work is conversations are ongoing all the time with the players and the agents that we want. We already know who we want in the summer. It's going to be more like, can we bring it forward? Is it worth bringing it forward? Has someone cropped up because of some type of situation uh, at their club that might make them viable? What's happening with our players? You know, Eddie Nketiah seems to have pushed himself back into contention as someone who could stay at Arsenal, in my opinion. Um, just in the last, just what we've heard, um, you know, the amount of time we've invested, some of the some of the changes. Now that Aubameyang's not going to be around, it looks like next season it changes things. So. And a long and short of it is, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow the club's lead on it. I'd love to see us sign a striker. We're gonna be short in central midfield. That Lukonga's gonna have to come in and really deliver. Uh, but I think he can. I think that's why we bought him, right? So, um, so yeah, a striker would be a dream. But I'm I'm not holding my breath. Johnny, there's a, there's obviously a lot of heat on uh, signing a striker. From what I understand, Arsenal don't have much money, so um, it'll probably be a low move or an internal solution. But they will try and raise funds. Who are you looking at to exit the club uh, this January, if anyone at all? Um, well, yeah, I, I don't know whether I'm necessarily looking to see players leaving in January. We can... You know, get someone a good deal. Maitland-Niles, obviously, is looking less and less like there's a future for him at the club. You know, Matt talked about um, Eddie and Ketty. I personally, I don't see it, Matt. I don't share the same hope as you. I think he's done and dusted. And when we talk about, you know, not overvaluing our youngsters, this is the point I would make. Eddie and Ketty is the kind of guy who is not going to be good enough. He's not going to take us forward. And we need to stop getting gassed 
over players like that who maybe could point to a you know a very profitable record at England under twenty threes and you know he has a selling point and a good agent will get him a new club a Premier League club probably but for me he's never shown that he has world class potential I don't see it and there are other players like that as well and and that's why I get excited about Saka and Smith Rowe they've separated themselves from people like Nketi and Reese Nelson as well you know not going to make it. Move him on. There's someone who will have him and, and, and get the money and redistribute it. But and, and I think it was a great point you make there about the Arsenal, you know, powers that be have bought themselves some time and respect based off of that transfer window in the summer where everyone looks like a certified hit right now. Congratulations, guys. It's what initially got me started to get me bought in back into the idea because every everyone everything you've touched has turned to goals when it gold when it comes to um players that have come in in the summer. I am now starting to trust your eye for talent again, which I was, you know, getting a bit lost on. And so I would, I'm almost like a, you know, you know, you're, you're maybe getting bought presents from your partner and it gets a bit stale after a while. And you go, you know what? Just surprise me. I'm like that with Arsenal. Surprise me. Go on. Give me a name I haven't heard of. Cause I trust you. I trust it's going to be good. Right that's now. a great sign, um, though. You weren't, we weren't there before the summer, right? No. So, I mean, that's that's great work from the analysts and the scouts. So, yeah, you know, and, and I have more trust that if it was a player I hadn't heard of, they'd actually be decent. But, of course, Flyovich is a name that's been floated around. Calvert-Lewin before that. Uh, I'm not 100% sold on Calvert-Lewin. But, again, if, if they went for him, I'd feel more you know, optimism about it because I'm like, well, you must see something. And I didn't know who Tommy Asu was before we signed him. And guess what? He's amazing. He's he fantastic. Amazing. So, you know, that's what we want to see. Um, I, will we sign a player in January? I'm a striker in January. I'm not so sure. And it might be that even if things get a little bit dicey, we might have to give Nicolas Pepe a little run out or two up front. Um, if uh, it, 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 like in the, at the end of games to see if he's got it, who knows? Maybe, maybe there is a, a way for him to come back into the the plans overall. I'm not so sure, but still, I wouldn't write it off. He seems he seems interested, and who wouldn't be when the team's playing well? Yeah, I think the I think there are two positions that Arsenal need to uh, sign uh, players for, and I think we need a winger. And I think we need a, a striker. I'm not so fussed about central midfield. I, I don't know whether we'll be able to do a, a deal in January. I think Vlahovic is probably right up there. And the interesting thing about Vlahovic is there aren't many places that can afford to, to buy him. Juventus are trying to sign a Sassuolo striker with a two-year loan option with a, an agreement to buy at the end of it. So they've got no money. Uh, Chelsea have already spent $100 million on Lukaku. United have got too many strikers and if they went for him then I would be right in there for uh, Mason Greenwood uh, City are probably going to try and sign Kane and PSG uh, are looking at, at Haaland and Mbappe is going to go to Madrid so there aren't many places for him to go so if Arsenal have got 60 million swilling around in the summer I suspect we'll make a move there interesting an interesting move might be someone like Jovic I mean it worked really well for Erdegaard Erdegaard, like you said, Matt, Erdegaard played for his move to Arsenal. And now he's come here and, you know, he's, 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 he's setting the, the field alight. So I, I think the, the players to look for the exits, got to get rid of Burnt Leno. I think Arsenal might be trying to whip up a bit of a transfer fight for Ainsley at the moment. 
I'm with Matt though. I, I think I think you need all sorts of players in your forward line. Liverpool have got Divock Origi. He's nowhere near world class, but he's a he's great in the box and it, you know come on late in a game and it cause problems. I think he's a 15 to 18 goal a season striker in the Premier League. I think he's come up come a long way physically and having a fox in the box like that when you're chasing the game or you're playing a certain type of opposition with a deep block could be really useful. So I'd be and, and also Arsenal have got to stop letting players like that go for free. So um, I don't hold out much hope on any big deals. And then the one that we're all looking for. I don't think it will happen as of yet, but I think if Arsenal have central midfield problems come the end of January, I just cannot see any other option outside Jack Wilshire getting a short-term deal. He's maintained his fitness. He knows how Arsenal play. The players seem to love him there. You know, the youngsters are learning a lot of him. So I wouldn't be shocked to see a little bit of Jack Wilshire. I think the problem for Arteta is if you sign him, you have to play him. And he might not feel that he's at the level, and that could, you know, that could cause a little bit of friction in the fan base. So, um, I think, I think if we sign him, we don't really care whether he plays ten minutes or five games or starts or whatever. I think, I think every Arsenal fan, it would feel a bit like Thierry Henry coming on against Leeds. It's a chance to say goodbye to someone that we love, and if they can do a job for a few, two or three games, that's all it really is. It's a cover. I don't think it's. He, I don't. He might think he's playing for a future at Arsenal. I think we'd all just love a chance to say a proper goodbye to someone that we all fell in love with as a player at Arsenal. Yeah, and it should be written into his, It should be written into Jack Wilshere's contract that he has to get pissed if we do win a cup final this year and start. You know, asking questions about what we think of Tottenham. But I mean, so, um, I mean, Patino was on the bench against Norwich, so say what yeah. you want. But I don't think um, you know. Long term, is it better to give Jack Wilshire minutes or give Charlie Patino minutes? Better to give Charlie Patino minutes. Are we thinking long term or short term? You have to do both, but if, if we don't, we don't know what we see in training. Is he ready? Is he not ready? Who knows? Uh, yeah, I mean that when you when you put position it like that, Jack Wilshire or Patino, <laughs> I don't know where my my heart and head are all over the place there. So <laughs> exciting times. All right, guys, uh, thank you for podcasting with me on uh, the 27th. I think we might do a little end-of-year podcast and we might have uh, a a special guest uh, from another podcast to join us. Uh, So more news on that a little bit later. Uh, Johnny, do you want to tell people where they can find you if they haven't listened to every single podcast we've got to offer? (laughs) Yeah, Um, get me at iJohnnyCochran on all my socials. Um, shout out to everyone on Twitter, including Jack the Gooner, who gave me some inspiration to liken us in a tweet I did earlier to liken us to Arsenal right backs that we're all injury prone. And someone also, just to, as a random point, someone mentioned about what we would think about signing Renato Sanchez. And that should be something we talk about in the future because I think he's a potential good uh, option as well. But that is for another time, as they say. Yeah, and uh, I do just want to say thank you to everybody that listens from all over the world. It absolutely blows our minds to see people popping up in Africa, in India, in Australia, all times. Uh, so we really appreciate the support. We love that you you, you play along and, and we love the spirit of what you do. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you are on iTunes, it's kind of Christmas and we've all had covid and we'd all like a little five-star review say something nice in the comments it really makes us happy and on that note we'll be back on the 29th ciao for now
I'm comedian Johnny Cochran. Now, last year, my life was turned upside down when I became a first-time dad. Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking, mm, this is a little bit crazy right now. How am I going to get through all of the challenges in front of me? One of the things I thought I'd do was set up a podcast talking to other fathers about their experiences. Fathers like Russell Kane. No one, no one's man is trying to suggest that what a man does is 1% of the ravages of a female's body being overtaken by its alien host. And Carl Donnelly. This is the admin bit where I'm sort of, you know, obsessing about prams and stuff like that. Oh, you've got to get a good set of wheels. I bought a vintage... Uh, 1960s Marmet pram, which is so inconvenient, and it's never. We're only. It, it can't go any further than like the local park. And Doc Brown, where here is complaining about money and how expensive it is to have kids and whatnot. They're like, well, you shouldn't have had us. <laughs> it's like it's your fault, and it's like, I mean, I turn around and it costs me 300 quid. <laughs> kids are so expensive. So you can listen to those guys and more in the How's Your Father podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.